I have seen product managers burn out left and right. And it's because you have to deal with a lot of moving pieces. And sometimes it all comes back down to you. Product managers deal with literally everybody else in the organization. There's very few other roles that cut across like that. So you have to put yourself in the shoes of marketing. You have to put yourself in the shoes of sales. You have to put yourself in the shoes of operations and customer support and developers and designers and the executives. And you have to constantly be thinking about how do I communicate to them? How do I get their buy-in to go forward? How do I take all of that feedback? And there's a lot of feedback with me and translate that into what we should do. And the truth is that I don't see as many people burn out in workplaces that have great cultures and that understand product management really well and just let people do their jobs. I see people burn out in organizations where they're constantly battling all those other functions to just do their jobs. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Dear Melissa from the Product Thinking Podcast. The lines are now open, and we're ready to answer your most pressing product questions. Which prioritization framework would you recommend and why? Hi, Melissa. Do you have any suggestions on I'm developing a product strategy? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's a lot of questions. All right, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dear Melissa, and happy August. Where did the summer go? Where did the year go? I can't believe we are almost into the fall. And you know what the fall means? It means strategy planning season. So if you are worried about getting into a room for a week and making up all the stuff that you're going to put on your roadmap, I suggest you listen in to a couple of our previous episodes about strategy planning so you can avoid that. What a fun time of year, September and October. Let's just all get together in a room and make up what we're going to build next year. <laughs> That's usually what happens, right? I've been a part of those conversations. So I want to make sure that you don't start off on that foot. And instead, you start thinking about how can we do this correctly? How can we start scaling our strategy correctly? How can we set the right goals? And what that means is it starts right now with getting the data together and all the information that you need. So if you're trying to figure out how do I set this up correctly, first thing you do, go get the data. Take a look at all your products, start to think about how they're performing, you know, what cohorts of customers are working the best and what's not working, where you have win-loss analysis on products, look at that, get some feedback from sales, go out and look at what kind of customer research you might need to do to validate problems. Get all that done before you get into that room with everybody else. That's going to be absolutely key for you to setting off on a good foot when it comes to strategy. And if you have any questions about strategy planning, we have a lot of episodes on that that you can go to our website, productthinkingpodcast.com and look back on those, making sure that you are setting off on the right foot when you get into that mode, that crunch time. But besides that, I want to make sure that you're having a good summer and you at least take this next month to relax a little bit, charge up, because we all know Q4 is that quarter where we all seem to just be going crazy. So please rest up over the summer before you get into crunch mode. You're going to need it and your team's going to need it. I hope you can get out to the beach Get out somewhere, uh, see that sunlight, get out of your houses if you're working from home like I do. Make sure that you see some people, relax, take a breather. It's very important for your health. And with that, we're going to jump into our questions for Dear Melissa this time. So let's dive in. Dear Melissa, a longtime listener and first-time question submitter, would love to talk to you a bit about scaling up a product organization with some junior PMs. 
I've been on a rocket ship with product management over the past few years, from not knowing what a product manager is just a few years ago to now the director of product at an established fintech prop tech company in the Silicon Slopes. I find that most of our product team members, most junior product managers, and a couple APMs that want to take the next step, but it can be tough as a single product leader to scale up a whole team simultaneously. What's been a successful approach to bring the team along for the career improvement without leaving stragglers? Great question. And first of all, though, where are the Silicon Slopes? Because I would love to know. I would love to visit. <laughs> Let's send me that answer. I really want to know where this is. Also, like, where's Silicon Beach? If we've got Silicon Slopes, I want to know where Silicon Beach is, too. <laughs> Fill me in. Let me know. I'm curious over here. To get back to your question, how do we scale up a team like this? Now, this is something that I've been doing a lot. Now, if you have a lot of junior product managers, sounds like you do, mostly junior PMs, couple APMs, you said. This can be hard. So your job definitely is to train them, but it depends how many people you've got here. Like, are we talking 10? Are we talking three? Are we talking four? The most successful approach I've seen to bring a team along is to help hire in a couple of experienced people who can show them what good looks like besides just you. So what you're going to want to do is look at your team, figure out where the coverage is, where do people excel in different skills, who's a little bit further along than other people, and then also look at your strategy and what you need to get done. Do you feel confident that you have enough coverage over all those areas? If not, you might want to hire in somebody who's more of a senior product manager that can take over some of the high priority stuff that needs to get done, but can also help demonstrate what good looks like and train a couple of your junior people along the way. It's really hard to bring up a team and scale a team, especially quickly, and especially if you're in a high growth company, that's all junior. It's incredibly hard to do this. I've done it. I've worked at companies where we've taken like 350 people who were super junior, never did product management before. I've been in companies where we've had more than that. And we've tried to train them all. And what's really hard and what I've learned from this is that you can do training. Training is always good. Get them a class, get them something like that. But they need to see how it works and they need somebody there to answer questions and guide them. So part of that is definitely your job. But you don't have that as your sole responsibility. You are not just a trainer of product managers, you're a director of product management, which means that you're going to have to be doing some strategy stuff, a lot of road mapping, and your own work. So you want to look at what is my capacity for training? How many people can I take on? How many people can I train? And then you're going to want to look at your team and say, is that reasonable for how many people that we have? And if not, you're probably going to want to mix in some more senior folks there. That's going to be key. The most successful companies who make this transition do hire a mix of senior people in with their junior people so that they can take some of that coaching, demonstrate what good looks like, and a lot of people come along for the journey. That's what I've seen be the most effective. So if you do have enough people where you're feeling more comfortable about training them, you need to think about too, like how can I demonstrate some of this stuff without getting sucked into the weeds? And that's what I worry about for you. When you have a lot of junior people and they can't take on all the work themselves, even though you're delegating, sometimes I see directors of product management just get like in the weeds with everybody and they're doing all the tactical work and they're not doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, which is strategic. Same goes for VP, same goes for CPOs when you have a junior team. So you need to think about this as a leader. Who do I have as my right-hand person who I feel really confident with like giving some direction to and then they can just go? And if you have nobody on your team like that, you need that. Because otherwise, you're just going to get dragged down. You're going to get dragged into the tactical. So honestly, like hire people, bring in people or look across the organization. Even if you don't, can't like have capacity or budget to hire someone, 
Is there anybody else in your organization who you can bring along into your team? Maybe move some junior PMs into other areas where there is more senior people, anything like that. It sounds like you're an establishment tech prop tech company. So I'm hoping that you are not the only director of product. I'm getting some context clues from in here, but if you are, this is going to be harder and you really do need that senior person. You can't be the only person doing all this. If you have other directors of product, maybe talk to them and figure out how do we make sure that we have enough senior people and enough junior people to grow this entire team across the company. And I do believe junior PMs, a couple APMs, they can definitely learn. They can ramp up pretty quickly, but they need to be able to watch people. They need the coaching. They need tightly defined bounds of what they're working on, where you can loosen them up later. They're going to need a lot more direction than a senior person. So you really need to think about how are they going to get all of that exposure and their coaching and being able to see what other people are doing so that they can internalize that and take it along. So I would think about all of those things. And to me, the most successful thing I've seen other companies do when they're making a big transition is hiring a couple. And it doesn't have to be a lot, just a couple senior folks. Did you know I have a course for product managers that you could take? It's called Product Institute. Over the past seven years, I've been working with individuals, teams, and companies to upskill their product chops through my fully online school. We have an ever-growing list of courses to help you work through your current product dilemma. Visit productinstitute.com and learn to think like a great product manager. Use code THINKING to save $200 at checkout on our premier course, Product Management Foundations. All right. Next question. Dear Melissa, I love this series. Well, thank you. I've just started a new gig at a multinational retailer working on a team responsible for credit card security. The product organization is currently going through an exercise of redefining the visions and core KPIs for each team. And my team have come up with KPIs around things like speed, error rates, and security footprint. I appreciate the value in tracking these metrics, but it feels like there's a link missing between these and our overall company measures of user value, repeat purchases in a given time period. How can a team responsible for security set measurable goals that show whether we're delivering real value to users when we're so far removed from the user value? I like this question. So if you think about it and you break it down, right, how does credit card security provide user value? Provides a lot of user value, right? Like (laughs) there's probably going to be no purchases on your site if people don't feel secure about it. And there's definitely not going to be repeat purchases if they don't feel secure. So you are basically saying, we believe that by having better credit card security, we can increase repeat purchases in a given time period. I think there is a direct link here. I think you could probably measure that or get a study. I'm sure people have done studies about when people feel more secure about their credit cards, they are more willing to shop on sites. So maybe get some of those numbers that will help you steer you in that direction and feel like you have that user value. Now, there's a lot of things though about credit card security that you can break down. Because it's not just about, are we secure? Like there's all of this stuff on the back end and security stuff from a technical perspective about being secure, but the users actually have to perceive you also as being secure. They have to feel confident that when they put their credit card in your system, they're not gonna get scammed. They're not gonna get it ripped off by somebody and then have like, you know, a Turkish rug guy calling them every five seconds to see if they wanna buy a rug, like, or using their credit cards to buy lotto tickets or anything like that. So you want to make sure that they feel secure. So there's two parts of this, I think. One, how do we make sure that we are actually secure? And then two, how do we know, make sure that the users know we're secure? And I think you can build KPIs around that. Speed, error rates, security footprint, those aren't bad KPIs. 
what you want to do is start to think about if we do increase our speed of, you know, securing credit cards, if we increase our security footprint, if we increase, decrease the error rates, what behavior do we think will change in users? That's what's going to get you to the user value that you're kind of looking for. So let's say if we increase our security footprint and make it incredibly secure to shop on our site, do we believe that users will purchase more? Do we believe that they'll feel more secure from purchasing, which means that they will purchase more in the long run? Like it all is connected here. And I think you have to give yourselves a little bit of a break saying that, you know, we're removed from the user value. I don't think you are. This is a huge part about making people feel confident in these things. This is really key to making sure that people can purchase things, have a good experience on your site, and feel confident that they're not going to lose the right to their credit card or have to cancel it or have a million different charges on it. So just keep going through a line of behavior, right? Like just keep tracing that line of we make our stuff more secure. What do we think will happen? What do we think will happen then? What do we think will happen then? And keep going it all the way back up to repeat purchases. That's what I would look at. You might also want to like pull, like I mentioned before, pull some studies. I'm sure there is a study out there on perceived security of e-commerce sites and what that means for purchases. I'm sure there's a study out there on that. Use that data. You don't have to make up all this data yourself. Like you can use that data. You can use that research. Pull that in so that it makes you feel more confident about what you're doing. And you've got some data to go off of. Maybe they even have percentages of how much is supposed to increase. And they have got, here's what worked on other sites. Take it, borrow it, see if it works for you. All of that stuff, I think, contributes to an overall good user experience. And I don't think security or anything technical like that cannot be traced eventually back to the user value. It just takes a little bit more work. All right, next question. Dear Melissa, what makes product people seemingly have a higher potential to experience workplace burnout? What can we do to proactively prevent or combat this? Ooh, burnout. It's a topic of hot conversation. If you listen to any of my videos with Gib Biddle and Barry O'Reilly, we do this personal board of directors where we kind of check in on each other in our work and we post them. I think they're on YouTube and LinkedIn. We post them and we invite people and we just kind of check in on each other and give advice and see where we were. And I have talked to them about burning out myself. So this one hits close to home. And at the end of 2020, I burnt out pretty hard and still recovering from it, but feeling a lot better these days. And I see a lot of other product managers burn out too. Why? For me, different. I'm a consultant, run my own business. That's very different than being a product manager in companies, but I have seen product managers burn out left and right. And it's because you have to deal with a lot of moving pieces. And sometimes it all comes back down to you. Product managers deal with literally everybody else in the organization. There's very few other roles that cut across like that. So you have to put yourself in the shoes of marketing. You have to put yourself in the shoes of sales. You have to put yourself in the shoes of operations and customer support and developers and designers and the executives. And you have to constantly be thinking about how do I communicate to them? How do I get their buy-in to go forward? How do I take all of that feedback? And there's a lot of feedback with me and translate that into what we should do. And Truth is that I don't see as many people burn out in workplaces that have great cultures and that understand product management really well and just let people do their jobs. I see people burn out in organizations where they're constantly battling all those other functions to just do their jobs. And that's where people usually experience the burnout. It comes from a a couple different factors. Like one, just not being able to do good work and feel like you're doing good work. That contributes to burnout like crazy. 
And I see so many product managers just fighting an uphill battle to get their executives to buy into their way of working or to understand what they're actually talking about, to not come and just swoop and poop all of these different feature ideas on them to actually like approach things a little bit more experimental. I see them also working in areas of friction, like sales yelling that they don't have their products on time, right? Not having a roadmap, blah, 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 blah. All of these things can be solved, hopefully, with good communication and cross-collaboration, like cross-functional collaboration. I've seen it work, but you have to have the energy to be able to do it. If you go in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to a company and be like, we're going to work on these things and I'm going to I'm going to make sure that I'm communicating well with everybody and we're going to solve some of these problems up front. You have the energy to do that, but it does kind of beat people down over time if that they constantly do that and they don't feel like they're moving forward or making progress. And I think that's a big piece of the burnout. Do you feel like you're making progress? Do you feel like you're learning? Do you feel like you're moving forward? Or do you feel like you come to work and just fight battles all day? And if you feel like you come and just ready to go to combat, that's going to burn people out. So that's what I think we have to look at. We need to really make sure that we are creating an environment where people feel like they can do their jobs. We're creating an environment where they get to learn. We're creating an environment where they get to come to work and feel safe. Safety is a really big piece of this. And we're actually going to have a whole episode on this podcast on what workplace safety actually means. It's not a fuzzy, you know, nebulous thing. It's something that you can actually measure. And Tara Scott is going to come on and talk about what that actually means. This is what she does with companies all day long. Make sure that they have a safe working environment. You can measure it. You can actually tweak it. You can fix it. And it all starts with leadership. So we want to make sure that we are setting a good place for people to come to. We want to make sure that everybody who comes to work feels like they're in a safe place. They can get their jobs done. They can make progress. They can see results. And they feel like they're doing something. They feel like they're making good progress and it's not just an uphill slog every day. On the other side too, people can get burnt out when they just feel like they're bored and they just come to work and work really long hours. So you want to make sure that things are interesting. People are pushing themselves in the right direction. They're growing and they're learning. And I think that's what's going to help us with burnout. Also, as these companies keep laying people off, if you're out there with a company that's laying a lot of people off, really think about, am I making everybody else here work longer hours because I just laid a bunch of people off and I don't want to hire anybody else? That will also contribute to burnout. So if you want to keep your good people, you want to make sure that you're not overwhelming them. You are really setting them up for success. You're creating an environment which they want to come to work at every single day. And we want to make sure that product people can get in there and do their jobs. And they're not just fighting people left and right across the organization. So this is where creating really good cross-functional processes comes in. You are a product operations coordinator, I can see from your thing. This is where you come in. How do you make sure that sales and product are communicating well together? How are you taking all that information and getting it to product? How are you making sure they get the data? All of those things I think will contribute to people having a better experience at work. So I would not neglect making sure that we have the right processes and data and systems set up for people's success so that they don't have to go reinvent the wheel every time they walk into a new company or every day that they come into the current company. So definitely think about those things as well. And to get back to my little message too at the beginning of this, if you are feeling a little burnt out, take a break. August is a little uh, a little slow in most companies. And I want to remind you that if you do have vacation days, you should take vacation days. Don't be afraid. Worry about yourself. You don't want to suffer from burnout like I did. It is not fun. It is extremely physical. It is extremely mental. 
it's fun to be excited about work again. So you want to make sure that you can go in and actually be excited too. So make sure that you rest because I know that we all want to do everything. We want to push ourselves to the limit. We want to be the best. I think product people in particular, they got to make sure that they're on top of things and they feel like they can't let it go. You can let it go. You can let your work go for a week or two. Go on vacation, chill out, have a good summer, and then go back to work refreshed. So definitely make sure that you're doing that. So that's it for the Dear Melissa this week. If you have questions for me, please submit them to dearmelissa.com. And we'll be going through these every other week and answering all of your questions. And in the meantime, please subscribe to the Product Thinking Podcast. That is how people find us. That's how you won't miss an episode. And like I said, we've got some really great guests coming up, particularly Tara Scott is coming up to talk about safety. So if you want to dive more into that, she'll be on the podcast soon. So make sure you subscribe so you do not miss any of our episodes. And otherwise, we'll see you next week.